Yo, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to another brand new episode of The Groove Pavement. I am Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. Yes, and this episode we have two movies we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about Putney Swoop, which came out... 1969. And it's a little different type of flick. Mind you, this is still pre-black exploitation. Along with Putney Swoop, we have Uptight which is pretty dope as well. Late December 1968. All right, so we're going to talk to you real quick about these movies, and then we're going to get into it after this. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? <laughs> dig it. All right, y'all. Like I said, we got two movies, Putney Swoop and Uptight. Before we talk about these movies, we want to make sure y'all follow us on Facebook, The Groove Pavement, and also on Instagram and our website as well. So uh, please check those out. Also, Hutsy TV will be broadcasting us as well. So please subscribe to our YouTube page. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. So let's get into these movies. The first one we're going to be talking about today is Putney Swoop. Putney Swoop. Yeah, Swoop, it's a, right? satirical. It's a satirical take on uh, the advertisement business. It's a satirical take on um, race in Hollywood. Uh, also the white power structure as well. So it mm-hmm. seems like Robert Downey Jr. was trying to uh, use what? a a, okay. a comical take on uh some very uh serious topics so yeah it's a very funny movie yes and it's made by robert downey the father senior yeah uh most of us know robert, robert downey, downey jr. jr uh iron man mm-hmm. right? yeah so his father you know his filmmaker also actor and writer uh and the the dope thing about he's actually like what we call now independent filmmaker so yes. he was an independent independent filmmaker at the time Made this movie off of two hundred thousand, which is not much because most of the time you hear movies blockbusters into the millions and stuff. So, and they uh, pretty much did some a lot of guerrilla filming. Like the actors were not sag. You know, he just got who he got. He yeah. picked up some people off of yeah, the met, cuff. Met one guy in a phone booth. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and, and and it was it was filmed in black and white. Usually, when you see black and white films there's some type of motion going on because it's very dark, very stark, uh, very contrasty or, or given a certain feel. Mm. Uh, but this is a, it's pretty much a comedy. And it's, you know, about the advertising agency, you know, in the city. And he actually, Robert Downey actually worked at, in an in a, in a, advertisement. In a, advertisement for a very short time. So a lot of stuff that he heard during his, 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 uh, his time in, at these jobs they actually come show up in this in this movie, yeah. which is dope. So it's like he's writing his, his experience and his thoughts. And if he had ideas, it's like, yo, let's yeah. put it in the film. Yeah, he's he's um I, I would say he's pretty um courageous. Yeah. And what he would do, he, he was not afraid to take chances mm. from a director's standpoint. Yeah, and and there were not that many of them, but there there were 
who, you know, did their own thing. Cassavetes is one uh, you think of. Um, Scorsese started like that, even though he had his team around him and stuff like that. But he was a, uh, he did his own stories. So uh, Ron, Ron, uh, Robert Downey, which most people don't know him as a filmmaker, unless you are of age and have, you know, experienced some of the old school movies and stuff, VCR days and Beta, yeah. all those old school joints. So one of the scenes, uh, like the beginning, there's a a board board meeting. Mm. And the chairman, he gets really, really tired. <laughs> so tired. Dead tired. Yeah, dead tired. So we're going to play this first scene so y'all can get a feel what we're talking about. Now, there's only so much room in each box. And if we overload these boxes with too much information, they won't remember anything. But... If we use and Putin is the only creative foreplay before we penetrate, we'll benefit. Your homeboy playing solitaire. Bypass looks like, <laughs> sounds like. How many syllables, Mario? How many syllables, Mario? We'll never know. <laughs> Annie Jackson at the same time. I'm going to the track. Have a ball, baby. <laughs> Crazy. And they slide him pretty up on the table, too. Just like, yo. How is she going to run his pockets? <laughs> this is corporate America, America, folks. How uh-huh. many syllables, Mario? How 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 many syllables, Mario? All right, so you had a board meeting. You're the only black guy, and your CEO dies. And, you know, and this and this is one of the uh, inciting incidents of the movie because it projects what's going to happen next, which they have to figure out. They're going to vote yeah. to see who's... Yeah, the bylaws call for them voting, mm-hmm. and each board member cannot vote for, for themselves. themselves. So what they do is, like, you know... They put Putin's name in the hat because they don't think that he's, he's going to win. Right. So, and what happens? He's, he wins. Yep. And he actually changes that. So, um, so that's one of the things that made me think, like, you know, was he making it seem, you know, uh, the, the director and writer, was he making this film to um, kind of like make fun at if, if could a black guy really run a firm? And how would they run it? You know, so. I th- I think he was trying to I-, I think he was trying to play with that in a in a playful way. Uh-huh. Um, I-, I thought about the election in two thousand and eight. How many people didn't take it serious uh-huh. when they yeah. voted for Barack Obama? I mean, yeah. you know, he had a lot of support, but at the same time, I wonder who voted for him just for kicks. Because uh-huh. at the beginning of it, we didn't we didn't. Yeah. We didn't think he was going to win. Yeah. We didn't think he was going to win. 
Dave. He went for a joyful cheer. But yeah, so Putney ends up becoming the CEO. But, you know, most people think like, okay, he's going to run the CEO. He's going to flip it. And he actually does. He turned to the truth, truth and soul. soul. And, and that was actually the slogan, truth and soul. Um, so fired every every white person yeah except for one yeah so it, it, it's a very funny movie and it's very eclectic because it had a lot of scenes that you kind of like you know where is this coming from so this is a mind of a creative and you know it's not because um Putney's in it that we call it a black exploitation or pre-black exploitation one is that the satire is towards the advertising agency. And like we mentioned before, if you look at a lot of the black exploitation posters, there's certain ways that they uh, get your attention. Yes. And they do that, especially um, for, for me, who, who's a, a record digger. A lot of times when we go dig for records, a lot of cats who dig, that cover if art. that cover is dope, we feel it's going to have mad samples on here, a lot of samples on here. So um, what we see grabs our attention. Just like when you when we used to go to the movies, we ain't been to the movies in a while because of all this lockdown yeah, stuff. But <clears throat> when you go to the movies and then you come out in, in, the, in the hallways, there's posters for new movies. If that poster looked dope, you probably think the movie's interesting. Well, I want to check that out. So that's what advertising really is, is you know, getting your attention with your eyes. So a lot of things that the way they pushed it is... For reasons, so you got to think. Okay, are they pushing this because of something good, or are they pushing garbage because they know they can get money from you? Wow. So you know, and that's what the industry uh, does. So, and there's a later scene in here where uh, this guy makes some uh, uh, window cleaning product, and Putney tells him to add something to it and sell it into the to the hood. You know, yeah. so we get a lot of stuff that's been filtered. And process to the hood just because, you know, they can make money off us. And just to, you know, you look at that scene, it's funny, but every, that red, like that board is representative of all your people and personalities in corporate America. Mm. You know, there's one guy that's screaming, how many syllables, Mario? <laughs> like, there are people that are that oblivious that you work with. Mm -hmm. and then there are people that, you know, they slid them on the table. Yeah, and ran his pockets. I mean, you know, it's it's like that in corporate America. It yeah. really is. Hey, look at you. Hold your hand and take your watch off at the same time. And then you got the guy playing cards. It's like you know yeah. he's shuffling while everything was going on. And the guy went to the went to the track as usual. Yeah. So yeah. you know, <laughs> is the the one you're working for it really that important, <laughs> or are you that important? Um, but it's it's definitely a interesting flick and a. a we didn't speak about the co-hosts, you know, the other characters in this era. Well, you know, you have uh, you have Antonio Fargus. Yeah. Antonio Fargus is uh, the satirical conscience of the story. Mm. Ridiculous, because that's what satire does, right. is that it doesn't make characters, it makes caricatures. Mm. And so um, what's interesting for him is, is that he was filming The Great White Hype mm. um, during the day, and then at night, he came and was filming uh, uh, Putney Swope. And he didn't have any lines. But All he was told was, go, go after Putney. Yeah. <laughs> and the other interesting fact of this movie is that um, uh, Putney 
played by uh, what's, what's, what's his name? Uh, Ronald. Uh, let's see, Ronald. Arnold, Arnold Johnson. Arnold Johnson. Arnold Johnson. He couldn't remember his lines. So his voice is dubbed. Yeah. So and it's dubbed by Robert Downey. You know, because uh, the way that it was shot, the DP uh, mentioned to Robert Downey is that because of his beard, you really couldn't tell. And uh, Robert Downey, he fixated his voice to sound like him, so it was overdubbed. So whatever he didn't have, <laughs> you know, he, he said for him, which is very interesting. So this, you don't see many movies like that unless um, they're Asian flicks or something. He's... Used to watch Chinese flicks overdub when we used to uh, mimic them and stuff like that. Arnold, Arnold Johnson, by the way, Shaft. He was the lawyer for Apollo Creed and Rocky. Yeah, yeah. And he was the grandfather in uh, Minister Society. Society. Kane. Kane. Yeah. So you're gonna you're probably gonna hear Antonio Fargus a lot yes. throughout this series. He's in he's he's a stamp in in this. Uh, he's on the air by tomorrow genre. night. Always steals the show when he's in the movie. Yeah. Let me. In my humble opinion, these commercials are tasteless. Butney, Myron X said you were tasteless. You said we were going to do things with integrity and style. What we're doing is worse than anything our predecessors ever done. Damn commercials are literal and they're disgusting. And by advocating such filth, Putney is confusing obscenity with originality. Let me unconfuse you, baby. Everybody that was in these commercials, you fired. There ain't one of them around. And I know you were job cat because you done made the last mistake you ever gonna make, mister. I've seen that nonsense you're trying to show us here. You're trying to dupe everybody in this joint. Now, what is this? We done taking the last bit of your nonsense, man. I'm not gonna take all this crap. Everybody knows you a job nigga. You done pull all this job shit. Your mother had a creative idea when she born you, and you had to go and blow that. You're gonna come and try to show us all this crap. A nigga sitting up there eating cornflakes, man. You ain't had nothing original since you got here. You stole the idea about bombing sick. You got it from your wife. Are you gonna tell me that's a lie? When I she told me herself. And that little that little nephew who gave you that idea for another thing, and you got rid of him. Ain't nobody around who helped you in anything. Everybody either been shut up, cut up, or been put out. Did you see this trash this man is trying to sell us? Look at your the high water pants. Your job, nigga, look at your two-button suit. Now, what kind of suit is that? He's supposed to be a soul, brother. Look at his brother's hair. Everybody dressed up like pride and dignity. You ain't got none. Now, what kind of job do you Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This company runs because I'm here, and I'm going to hate you if you don't get right, and you ain't right, and I hate you. I hate you, you understand? I hate you because you a job cat. You ain't got nothing inside. You got to go. You got to go, or I got to go, and I'm not going. Now, how you like that? He ain't got a thing inside him. He ain't nothing but a shell. Hey, man, you gotta let me go. Went in on him for a little bit, for like a hot full minute, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, he told him pretty much about himself. Um, yeah, and even before that, the other guy was telling him, like, you know, what are these ads about? And they're not really for nothing. So it's oh. just like you got your, your employees that's working for you telling you. <laughs> this is not working right here. What yeah. you're doing is... But he okay's most of this stuff. Yeah, you know. So it it was a. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it's a weird movie. It's interesting. Uh, it's cinema. I saw some Q and A that he did, and he talked about the movies. A uh, lot of people big it up. Uh, Boogie Nights. Uh-huh. Uh, pay homage to it in this, in its movie. Uh, a couple of other people. The the archive you're talking about is Academy Film Archive in Academy 2019. So. Right. Right. And you mentioned like the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys sampled them on their uh, 
on there, 1989. Well, they didn't sample them, but they mentioned them in the lyric, mm. talking about the Putney Swope um, sequel. Yeah. Um, and, well, I think it was talked about a couple years ago, maybe 2017 or something like that, that Eddie Murphy liked the movie and he wanted to do it over. But, you know, I guess that may, may not happen. Mm. But that would be interesting. It would be interesting. Because I, I, I saw what he did with Dolomite, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued now. So yeah. if he was going to do something like that, I'd give it a shot. So again, this is pre-blaxploitation. This movie is uh, 1969, Putney Swope, made by Robert Downey Sr., the uh-huh. father, filmmaker. Uh, it's definitely an interesting movie. It's a satire, like we stated. Uh, Arnold Johnson is Putney Swope with black advertising executive. So it just pokes fun at what he saw, the reality of the current events. And even goes on later on with there's a, uh, there's scenes uh, kind of mocking or mimicking uh, Fidel Castro. Oh, yeah. You know, so it, Yeah, it, it just it kind of pokes fun at the contradiction because he was dressed like a Black Panther you know, when he first gets to the helm of mm-hmm. of of truth and soul. Right. And then he changes into Fidel Castro, that, mm-hmm. that you know, that hat and that jacket. Mm-hmm. But everything that he's doing is selling out. <laughs> yeah. You know? So and 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 even he also had for some reason he has a, a midget president. So, you know, there's some political views that Robert Downey has uh-huh. um as well that's actually put into this movie so for him to have a midget president and he's you know they're making out and then some other guy asking you know can they join so there's some some weird stuff in it it's definitely interesting some people may not get it um some people may or still find some confusion but it's definitely interesting and it just builds up uh like we talked about the foundation of what's to become of black exploitation in in the 70s Y'all gotta, y'all gotta see this movie, man, because it's a little bit of everything. Best shit out here. Excuse me, Mr. Swope. Can I speak to you a minute? Sure. Mr. Swope, I do exactly the same job as the other executives, but I don't make as much money as they do. I don't think that's right. If I give you a raise, everybody's going to want a raise. And if I give them a raise, they'll still be making more money than you. And we'll be right back where we started. I never thought of it that way. And that's why you get less money. Because you don't think. Thank you. How would you feel getting that response? I, I see why people can take things for years and then come in and go postal. <laughs> I'm thinking about that movie, uh, The Office, Office Space. Uh, that was cubicle rage, you know, <laughs> but it, it showed the frustration uh, that people have in corporate America. So uh, I, I like this is kind of groundbreaking <laughs> to have that. Everybody has had that conversation. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, I think Robert Downey Sr. 
had that conversation or had that that experience. Yeah, and it was a black person Mm -hmm. that was asking for more money. Right. Yeah. And he said, if I give you a raise, he'd still be at the same spot. You got to give everybody else a raise. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's what we said before. Like, these are actual real experiences that Robert Downey uh, has, and he incorporated in his writing and his filming, which is very interesting. Um, and and the thing is too, the the movie itself is in black and white. But when they show the commercials that they made the, the for this agency, they're in color. Yeah. So there's uh, that dynamic and, and that contrast. Um, well, I, I guess he chose that style for a reason. Yeah, obviously has a reason. But it's just very interesting to see that when they put their commercials in, they're in color, but the film itself is black and white. That, I, it also points out, um, I like satire and how it was used um, to kind of, because uh, pain and oppression, they're like jagged little pills that everybody has to swallow. Mm. And uh, something about comedy, something about satire makes it go down a little easier. Mm-hmm. You know, somehow we can retain it better yeah. if we're laughing as opposed to mm. really getting charged about what's really happening. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of serious issues that he's tackling, but he does it in such a way that's so ridiculous that you have to laugh at it. That's yeah. the beauty of comedians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made the heavy stuff light so you can, you can take it. Uh, and it was very, he had a good cast. The cast was very dynamic. Uh, you'll see, you know, you'll see them grow later on. And for them to film the way they did, he said he shot it in like, I think three to four weeks, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, no permits, you know, he just guerrilla films and, you know, no SAG, 200,000, you know, and this became a staple. It's like a cult classic in a sense. pre black exploitation, 1969. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey. So this next movie is is a is a heavy one, different different mood, very heavy, very very interesting, and this comes in the, you know, right after the aftermath of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Actually, it's his funeral is in the intro of it, which you there's a lot going on in, in this first scene. So this scene, yeah. this movie, is uptight. 1968. 1968, December 1968. Mm. And aptly named because uh, during that time, mm. things were kind of tight. America burned. Right. And and um, you're going to see some familiar faces in this as well. These are up and coming faces. Uh, part of, uh, I, um, Ruby D is in it and she wrote part of it so this movie is actually based off of a a novel called The Informer which had to do with the I- Irish rebellion of an earlier time I think in the 30s yeah it was 1935 1935 yeah so we have some familiar faces in here and we have a reunion well I think this may have been the start of three actors that will later on yeah be casted in and doing movies together again Max Julian. Uh, it's funny. Juanita Moore is right under there. Juanita Moore. And what's the brother's name? The tall brother. Uh, Dick Anthony Williams. Yes. Uh, so Pretty Tony. So we're going to set it off with this opening scene, which is very long, but it has a lot of heavy, 
I don't know what you can call it, but it's a lot going on. And, but listen to the music that plays in the background and the theme for this opening scene Children of Martin Luther King Jr.'s after his passing Get assassination. Children It's a really, really heavy, heavy moment. Yeah, whatever you thought about the man, whatever you thought about the, uh, the movement itself or his strategies, everybody has the same look as time stop. From, you know, this one a lot. takes place in Cleveland, It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Let freedom reign from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom reign from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, 
Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Opening four minutes. Usually when you, uh, in the beginning of a movie, it sets the tone. It sets the atmosphere of where we're at. You know, the place you're in, your environment. So, it's setting off with the funeral of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the river of people behind him. And and you see the actual emotion of everybody. So yeah, it, 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 it goes from, from the, the sadness of that pro- procession into the rage like the 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 look in the people's eyes in Cleveland mm-hmm. that's rage yeah that's anger that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like a you're seething at this point because mm-hmm. of what what has happened yeah it's and yeah and then you, you know you see the colors you see the style you you see the time yeah the neighborhood mm-hmm. suit is um very Thank you. God bless you, Apollo Theater. It's mm. kind of that, kind of got that vibe to it. Mm. And and like I mentioned, I hope y'all noticed the. Well, depending on your your age group, uh, those who listen to hip hop, if you know the music in the beginning that overplayed on top of the the funeral, um, that was the original song to what RZA. Of Wu Tang used for the song Glaciers of Ice. Yo, stand on the block, be block, gun cock, avalanche rock, get paid off, mass murderous services, chef, break them, box the alley cats, bake them, pull down, made them, drop grenades and take them quick, fast, we reflect like the sky be blue, so Wu Tang side of the Yeah, that was Glaciers of Ice. Uh, a lot of hip hop heads, producers, beat makers sampled and used a lot of music from the black exploitation era all that soulful you know the grimy stuff come from that so this was our first capture of music of this genre for for you know on the hip-hop will not be the last will not be the last there's gonna be a, definitely a lot more with this movie there's it's almost like a double protagonist usually there's a protagonist and an antagonist in movies and the first act, you know, was going to tell you who's it about, what he's trying, or he, what he or she is trying to do, and why, what, what's against him. Mm. So in this particular sense, you know, like we mentioned before, a lot of black story, black exploitation movies was about getting the man or going against the man. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, it could be your own hood. Your yeah. hood can be the antagonist and. Um, you'll hear those similarities throughout this movie, and and it's and it, this movie cause we talked about it earlier, because a lot of times when we think of black exploitation is just exploiting black folks and the writing because it's not written by black folks that it can be a, a bad portrayal of how we are. But this is uh, actually really on point yeah, yeah, for the most part. Is it? it it looks and feels a certain way. I like how it's filmed. It's, it's you know, shot on film uh, in color. It just the way that the black folks look with, you know, illuminated colors is, is so vibrant. And it seems like they shot most of this during night scenes. And either it was raining or this is wet. And just those reflections, it, it, to me, it brings life to a lot of the... 
um, the content in the film where it's, some of it seemed lifeless because of what was going on. Yeah, the, it, you know, it captures the... I, at first, you know, because I'm not a filmmaker, mm-hmm. I was I was trying to understand, like, visually what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. But taking a step back and, like, kind of listening to you talk about it, it captures the somberness mm-hmm. of what's going on, but it also captures the, the, the rages in the dialogue. Yeah. But the backdrop, to me... You know, kind of screams of the sadness that that mm-hmm. everybody's feeling. Yeah, it, it just textured. You know, it was really grimy. It's very fitting. I, I, you know, the way that it was shot, and and it seemed like some of the actors were. You know, I don't know their background, but I can see here's some theater and some of them. Yeah. So the story is, you know, Definitely basically tank. about Tank, yeah. mm-hmm. and Tank is going through something. You know, at the time he he's, he drinks. He likes to get his his sip on every now and again, and maybe during the wrong times when he should have been helping his yeah. people out. And because of that, you know, his boy gets into a jam. Yeah, Tank is supposed to be with Max Julian's character, uh, Johnny, Wells. Johnny Wells, and Tank is supposed to come along with them so that they can uh, steal guns, you know, from from like a, a county building, mm-hmm. you know, and um. It was the plot was designed for a certain amount of people, but with Tank doing doing what he did, it kind of put everything in jeopardy. Yeah, he couldn't make it. Yeah, he was drinking too much. Drinking and depressed off of you know basically off the death of Dr. King, and that affected him. So, and this this and then, like you said, yeah. So he's gonna find himself mentally. Uh, He's gonna be confused and feels like he's not he's not worth anything. He's gonna feel worthless, and he's gonna to try to find his direction. But then there's also folks during these times because remember you know they're on some um, I would say revolt type oh, yeah. status. They you know they're really upright, uptight as the movie calls for, and they want a coalition together to go against the man. It does, that's definitely the energy in this in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, there are only a few events in this country where one black man can set off riots nationally. Mm-hmm. One the, the the other guy was Jack Johnson. Every time he won a fight, specifically when he won the title for the yeah. first time, riots all over the country. Mm-hmm. And when Dr. King is assassinated, America, D.C. burned, mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. L.A., you name it. Huh. Newburgh. Huh. Newburgh, yeah, Newburgh rides. Newburgh rides. So, to go along with that, and then we're going to talk about Roscoe's character oh, yeah. a little bit. But in Cleveland, as in the rest of the country, as they're watching concession the on TV. Conservative reports are that yesterday's funeral was attended by 150,000 people. This tribute was ordered. Uh, 150,000 people. Friends and Word of honor. I never thought that guy was so important. Because, my friend and white brother, you can't conceive of any nigger being important. Now, that's a word I never use. Please do. To thine own self, be true. Oh, balls. For him to say that he didn't think, you know, he was, I guess, worth that many people following him says a lot. You know, they didn't see what we see or what we saw in uh, Dr. King. Well, that's that's also the privilege of... um White America, if I might add, because uh, 
here it is that they can experience a total reality mm. without having to have any significant dealings with you. But on the other hand, you cannot have that without dealing with them. So it, it's amazing. This guy can win the Nobel Peace Prize mm -hmm. at age 34. He's the youngest guy ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, cause all this stir, stir, you know, with the protests and everything. Addresses people at the March on Washington. I mean, he's internationally known, but here it is, this, this white guy is saying, I didn't know he was that important. All right, so, and we're going to get into another character in this movie. I'm just going to call him Roscoe. He's always going to be <laughs> Roscoe. This, this guy, he's in a lot of films as well. Very good actor. Very, he's theatric, he's, he's a classically the trained actor, um, and with his, his voice, mm. um, he did a lot of voiceover work. He's not so much a black exploitation actor. No. Um, he actually refused to do stereotypical work, mm. and that's what's notable about Roscoe, Roscoe Lee Brown. Yeah. Is that he he would not take the stereotypical role. He always pushed himself artistically to play, you know, these out of the box type of characters. Okay. And his character is uh informant. He's an informant for the for the for the police. He lives in a black neighborhood. He knows of everybody's in that in that hood, but he's informant and he's he's a homosexual and he doesn't really care about the plight of those who are, you want to call righteous and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So we're going to hear a little bit from him. He should have died hereafter. We want Johnny Wells. You're the boss, boss. Neither sleep nor hail nor funerals can stop this choir. I keeps the happy dust moving. You protect me. He's all on the same payroll. How's a nigger which knows his duty? Negro. Nigger, sir. Nigger, stool pigeon, and faggot. Clearly knows himself and what he's about. So, and another thing, too, like, yo, they say nigger a lot back then in, oh, yeah. in, in, in on movies. You can't say that today. Well, you can still say it. You, you can't can say faggot. You yeah, got a whole bunch of people come at you. You can say the N-word before you say <laughs> Edit this out. <laughs> yeah, you, you can say the N-word way more than you can say um, anything derogatory against the LGBT mm. community. So mm. um, that's that has persisted. But you, you, you know what I thought was interesting? What you thought what was you, what you When you're talking about the N-word, mm. a lot of people get on hip-hop as yeah. popularizing the N-word. But actually, it was the black exploitation era mm -hmm. that popularized this. You know, because hip hop, hip hop comes in 1973. Well, the black exploitation era is in full swing. Mm -hmm. So you were hearing this language anyway, but a lot of people put it on Play the on rappers, this, yeah. and that's not that's not necessarily accurate. Yeah, them niggas started it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> now, so. We just wanted to uh, want y'all to see the the Roscoe character because he's going to be important later. This other scene, which is Wells' sister, and that's played by Janet uh, McLachlan. Yeah, so she says some words, and, I, and this where I also see you know some multitude that follow that in her, her in order and in dignity in Atlanta. Nice looking sister too. Mm -hmm. Natural hair. Cry, march, pray. That's the way to win Whitey's heart. 
Free at last. Free to stop begging. No, baby. In his way, he was a fighter. He was a beggar. The man from love. Well, the man from love got his head shot off. And all those people learned nothing. Death is a fast teacher. They'll learn. The scene's clearer now. I think about you and I get scared. Don't. One by one. Bang, bang, bang. That's how it goes. Nobody's ever heard of me. Booker, Goodwin, Thompson. <laughs> Junior high school teachers don't make it on television. What do you think about that? You know, it's there is a role reversal here. Um, a lot of people don't think of ladies as being in the movement mm -hmm. and and taking that particular stance. She's very militant. Yeah. A lot of times, you'll see, like we saw in the Black Klansman, Lola Falana's character was more in line with what he was saying, but she was more militant, like OJ mm -hmm. was. Yeah. Um, but there were there were uh, sisters in the movement. Mm -hmm. There were sisters in uh, the civil rights movement that were very in integral. You know, I could think of two people um, off the top of my head, like uh, Ella Baker, mm. who was actually really responsible for the SELC. She's one of the organizers of the SELC who doesn't get recognized. Mm. And there's a lot of sisters in the Panthers, but. Uh, um, there's another lady, Diane Nash, okay. who was integral in getting the word out during the Montgomery bus uh, boycott. Okay. So, I mean, it, the, the women were all through the movement. It's just that we... Angela Davis. Yeah, we, Angela Davis is another, you know. But we just, oftentimes, we don't see them. Right. And so I, I, like, I like her fire and her mm. frustration here. I like how it's highlighted in this scene. Yeah, and, and they're very vocal. You know, just like women are, or, or especially mothers, very vocal when it comes to something that's you know, attached to them. And it's just a, some, a lot of men undermine them. You know, so black women during these times, they were very undermined, mm -hmm. you know, for that. So it's good to see this, uh, her playing this role and speaking like she's speaking. And that, that tension that she's talking about there, um, a lot of people were not happy to see Dr. King when he would move to different parts of the country. Not that they didn't respect him, mm. but like when he went to Chicago, when he went to Watts, it was a totally different reception from black people than he was used to. Mm. Because what he did, what he, when he would go up north, when he would go to the West Coast, he would encounter the rage. Mm. Whereas back in, this, in the South, it was all about, you know, being reserved and, mm. and taking it. But these people were expressing themselves totally different than in the South. How, how do you feel when you sell a man? I mean, you grew up around here. You knew Johnny. I don't care what happens to Johnny. Or to you. Or to my whole useless existence. There's no law says you gotta go on living. Just check out, Dan. In good time, Tank. I'm still working out the style of my departure. What stuck out to me for him to say he doesn't care about Wells 
or him to his face, you know. So he's doing, he doesn't care about the movement. He doesn't care. It seems like he, you know, it was lax about the whole Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King thing. And he definitely lax about this so-called rebellion. Well, this uh, that there's an element of that kind of person in every community. It just, it's exacerbated by the fact that the position that we're in. So when somebody that really doesn't care and is just pretty much out for self mm -hmm. um, can be bought or sold and wind up selling the community out at the same time. So. And I think there's a similar to, to what you mentioned before about the whole Fred, Fred Hampton thing. So yeah. this is the highlight Doesn't do you justice, of his Tank. insight a little out of focus. Incident, in a sense. The photographer was an amateur, but the police paid him well for it. There, that's better. Don't worry about it, Tank. The cops have a certain affection for me. I might get this photograph removed from the files. I might. I've got another one. This one's going up in every post office today. There he is, as photogenic as all Africa. There isn't a cop who doesn't know every detail of that face. $1,000. No publicity, no red tape, no delay in payoffs. $1,000 paid directly into your hands. That's his dilemma. He's yeah. thought of being, you know, not worth it or worthless. And even with his, his lady friend. Uh, part of the reason why he feels worthless is because he's unemployed. Uh -huh. He's gotten into a fight at the... Uh, he, he was more tank. The backstory with tank is he... He favored the nonviolent Dr. King movement, but you know, what does the Bible say that uh, that uh, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways? Huh. So here he is. He's 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 for the nonviolent movement, but he's actually fired, fighting two white coworkers mm -hmm. about you know harassing some of his black uh, his, mm -hmm. his black uh, uh, coworkers. Comics, yeah. So he. And that's that's the dilemma that men feel is that so much of what we do is tied to our job, uh. and so when when he loses that, he loses his sense of identity, he loses his sense of usefulness. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And now I want to be a part of something. See, Tank right now is mm. feeling like a man without country. Mm. You know, he doesn't know where to go, and here he. He he gets he gets the uh, that that inciting event that's gonna make him, you know, sell out the movement, but that's so real as to what was going on at that time, and um, it made me think about Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. uh, Fred Hampton was actually sold out by a guy named Bill O'Neill, mm -hmm. and Bill O'Neill or William O'Neill uh, was a car thief, local car thief in uh, Chicago. And uh, what the FBI would do is they would look for people that, that they knew they could put in compromising positions mm -hmm. and, and give them an author, offer that they should refuse, but they can't. Mm -hmm. And so Bill O'Neill, he's, he's got some charges over his head. And this is, this is how they get these informants. So he's got some charges over his head that he wants to go away. Bill O'Neill was, uh, was you know, kind of pinched for... Uh, you know, um, I think joyriding out of outside of city limits, uh -huh. and uh, the FBI pressed him and said, "We'll make this go away if you get, you know, 
if you infiltrate and try to get next to Fred Hampton and find out something uh-huh. on him. And Bill O'Neill would actually do his job with great efficiency because the information that he provided to the Chicago PD and the FBI ultimately cost Fred Hampton's life. Hampton's life. So, in this instance, Tank gives up Wells, which yeah. is, you know, his, his, his friend. friend. You know, for some money because he has nothing. So, all these other things going on in his head is just pushing us like, you know, he has no way out. He needs some money, so... He does. The other part of it, which we're going to get into, is that his lady, which is the beautiful Ruby, Ruby D, D um, wearing that purple. Yes, <laughs> with your lavender. Um, <laughs> there, there's. This is another layer, mm. which is coming up about the welfare status in in the urban hairy, urban housing and urban areas. Oakley. Aha! I thought so. I could make trouble for you. No, please, Mrs. Hudson. You know welfare cannot hand out those checks if you have a man around. I know, Mr. Oakley, but this man... Come on. Come on. Level with me. Isn't this the gentleman we've been looking uh, for? No, Mr. Oakley. You He's know, just sir, a friend. None support of your children is a punishable offense. He's not... Th- if he I hasn't told you. got a job, we'll find one for him. You look strong enough. You're so right, man. I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough to show you what I think of you and your whole goddamn welfare system! What are you, crazy? You think you got bumpers on your ass? Lunatic! Lunatic! Get out of this place! Mr. Oakley! Are you people down here in the hub area are crazy? Mr. Oakley! Ain't crazy? He didn't mean it! You'll hear from me, Mrs. Hudson! You'll hear from me! Mr. Oakley! That layer, which is interesting, like we uh, we mentioned, you know, a lot of these brothers may have came back from the war, being in the service, mm-hmm. or just out of the job in general. So, you know, it's a lot of women may have been out of job. So, in order for them to get welfare, they cannot have a man living in the house. And we'll see that in another movie later on, which is one of my favorites, Claudine. But... This is and he kind of messes it up. Tank kind of messes it up for uh, Ruby, Ruby D. D, and she has some words for him afterwards. So that also playing, you know, he had his friends who was telling him he was worthless because he drinks too much and he they uh, he wasn't being responsible for what he could have helped out with. Yeah, and then with Ruby D, he doesn't feel like the man of the house because. He yeah. can't provide for her. Right. And and so now it's just like, and he needs money. So he messes up, you know, her chances of getting anywhere for her and stuff like that. So now he's, all this emotion's going on. So what's he going to do? Where is this going to drive him? So And this is a thing that really happens, you know, during these times uh, and, during and, urban areas. And point out in rural, rural uh, white communities, like say, like in Kentucky, mm-hmm. They didn't have that stipulation that the man couldn't be there. Mm. It was only when it came, or I shouldn't say only when it came to us, but disproportionately, yeah, it affected us that way. Mm-hmm. That the man had to be absent. Yeah, and, and that kind of like really don't make sense. Like, <laughs> you would you would think to keep that family together, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, well, yeah, but that was always a thing to separate. Them, yeah. You know? So even welfare was just a later later part of it. Um, but yeah, you know. Tank is like caught, in, you know, and going in different directions, and 
Yeah, and there's actually going to be a reward. Like, there's a reward out for uh, Johnny, and he actually reaches out to Tank. You know, and Tank is conflicted on what he should do, what you go about, but he also needs money. So, you know, is, is where's your loyalty? It's loyalty versus money, in a sense. So, yeah. Uh, and he chose the money. Yeah, and this is a common thing that happens in the hood. So, and that's what, one of the things that make this kind of feel real, you know, the conflicts that goes on with uh, the protagonist Tank or, or black man in, in his neighborhood during certain times. He has no money. Mm. He doesn't know how he's going to get money. Girl doesn't want to be with him. Um, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a lot going on. And then there's this uh, meeting, I guess the meeting of the minds, you know, people in, in certain places with the, the high people in the low places. And there's some tension there. So you got the people that, that want to fight. And then there's those who feel that we should go another route and fight. You know, maybe fight with knowledge or do something else. Yeah. So, and that's been ongoing tension. It's like the Martin Luther King versus Malcolm thing. You know, which, how are we going to fight? You know, some people oppose, some people for. There's money there. There's help. White help, too. Ted was scheduled to speak. Before I walk out of here, I want to be sure that you cats are not going to mess things up. We're going to have that meeting in peace, not even a firecracker. I'm asking you to come in with us on some constructive action. Oh, Jesus. Here we go crawling to Washington. Walking straight, my brother. Marching. Again. Thousands and thousands again. The poor people in this country are going to be organized. There's your power. And not just a black caucus. Everybody. I hate niggas like you. Making your pile in the opportunity programs. Lapping it up big at the white man cocktail parties. Maybe he's bucking for the Senate. And if I were, would you be against that? Before you yell black power, learn what it means. Well, I'm not yelling for you, Reverend. Don't come at me with none of that Reverend crap, or big as you are. He's only non-violent when it comes to Whitey. Don't you accuse me of selling out to anybody ever, or as God is my judge. I am accusing you. Cut it. Cut it. After the revolution, you dudes can kill each other all you want. You've got no revolution. A revolution is a plan, not a gun. I'm begging you to think straight. Violence is a self-defeating mother. Work with us. And peace, brother, peace. And we saw a pretty Tony in there. Yeah. So, saw so G2, Kumbaka. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot in there. So you got those who are, are for and think there's different strategies about going against it. And then those who are like, you know, man, we got to pull out the gun. You, you know, they, they must know OJ or something. I, I mean, the the tension here is is something that, that persisted throughout the movement. Mm-hmm how to do it you know there's this uh the country is kind of over by probably like 1966 mm-hmm. the country's kind of over the non-violent 
protests and all the attention. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this growing frustration in these urban centers, especially up north. And, and there was always this tennis back and forth as to who, who was right. Yeah. But the reality was that they were both right. Right. And the man just looking at you like, yeah, look at him fight. You know, because if, if there's no there's no civil rights movement if there's no deacons for defense mm. in the forties. If those if those black uh war war uh, World War II vets mm-hmm. didn't come home and talk about defending territory, uh it wouldn't have it wouldn't have opened the lane for that nonviolent protest because mm. if they work in tandem what you're saying is, well, this is your option if you don't take this option. So they could have worked together, but it seems like they're uh, fatally irreconcilable. Hmm. Yeah, so... And that, and that's a hard thing to, to, to do. Just like you want to find your way. You want to actually play your part. You want to uplift your people. You yeah. want to... They want to be free. They want to be themselves. So... And then you have those who infiltrate the whole camp because, you know, they don't care about you. They just want to see whatever they can get out of it. So I want to move on to Max and his his mother or, or Wells. And this is the, I believe this was the, probably their first film together. I, I believe so. Like, yeah, it was probably the first been. film together. She plays his mother in the Mac as well. around here. They'll kill you. They'll kill you. I'm going, Mama. Just tell me how you are. Oh, Johnny. I'm all right, Johnny. I'm all right. Everybody told him not to come home, but yet he, you know, he had to come home to see his mama. So now everybody's on the lookout for him. They know he's going because Tank Snitched on him, put you know, sold him out for a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars, I guess a thousand dollars was worth. That was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot of money back then. Four or five years, maybe. Yeah, that was a lot of money back then. So, yeah. So I just see the conflict in in that. Max uh, uh, Wells wanting to come home to see his mother. He got to see his mother, and and Juanita Moore is actually a very accomplished actor, mm-hmm. uh, actress. Um, she has like a long catalog, but that would be, you know, first of a few movies that her and Max Julian would be in. She would be his mom in the Mac. Mm-hmm. And really, she she's his mom in the Mac at a very, uh, very vulnerable time in his life. His mom was actually murdered. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of stepped in in that role mm-hmm. as being a, a mother figure for him. Yeah, and he used that in playing that part, too. Yeah. Um, so... There's another scene where this is after actually Wells dies, police kill him, and Tank is enjoying his money, his thousand dollars. You know, he gets his drink on and starts to go to this little fun house. But then. Hey! 
Johnny? You're Johnny? Right, I'm Johnny. But I'm not going to shoot it out with you, ma'am. Sir, are you one of those militants? I mean, would you really like to kill all of us? <laughs> well, present company excluded. <laughs> Is all of this target practice part of the plan? Plan? Or oh, you know. <sighs> Tell her. Well, well, she's not really supposed to know. Yeah, I mean, you you can't expect a black man to take you into his confidence just like that. <laughs> it takes time. You gotta pay your dues, right, friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us the plan, please. Yeah, tell her like it is, brother. Please do. You know, I really shouldn't. Ah, come on. Well, y'all seem like nice people. Come on in. Close. Come on, I do Well, then, next Thursday. Next Thursday? You wake up, you go to wash your face, no water. Somebody's cut the water. You go to the phone, and all you hear is a scratchy record like Donald Duck. We're out of order. We're out of order due to black folks. <laughs> so you run to the television to turn on the news. But all you see is a big black face like mine saying, we done took over. Come on. Right, friend? <gasps> the next thing you do is you grab your head and you yell, my money. And you run to the bank. Behind the counter, the prettiest little black girls you've ever seen. But when you say, give me my money, all they do is smile and say, sorry, no money. Right, friend? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you people find this funny, but I find it very unfunny. Funny part of the plan comes now, mister. Earth's too hot for you. I'm going to my moon. Zam! You're in Cape Kennedy. Everything is a-okay. Four, three, two, one, zero. Minus zero. You ain't going nowhere. Some little nigga done blew the fuse. <laughs> well, night, folks. Time to go. <laughs> this is like a little bit more than midway of the movie, which is pretty much the start of his decline where, you know, after he got his money, this is like, that's the thing that he wanted or that he thought he wanted. So it's just like a false success. And the distortion of the people is also, to me, is mimicking the distortion of what he thought was clear and all the stuff. So they're yeah. like mocking him. Uh, and it's cool that they did this because before the other scenes was textured and gritty looking where they're in this fun house and they're mocking him, all these lights around and these white folks around him, uh, and it's distorted. So it, so it shows the start of his decline and uh, it was a great, great piece cinematically for, for, for me, just how it looked, all these colors, everything was bright, clean, but distorted. And then, Very interesting. And then here it is. He's he's already sold out his friend, mm -hmm. and they're asking him, "What's the plan?" You know, it's kind of they're kind of mocking him. Mm -hmm. And and what I found was 
that when you do things like what he did, you don't really get any respect from either side. Right. And so, like I said, he's a man without a country. Mm-hmm. He's a man without a nation. He's, he's, he's pretty much orphaned himself. Well, that's that. Rick. Larry. Wait a minute. What is this? Is this a verdict? Are you a jury? This is a counsel, friend. What counsel? You're talking about killing a man. By what right? The revolutionary right to punish our enemies. B.G. Corbin, to kill a man, to take a human life, you have to have an authority. You have to have a legality. What legality? The white man's? Now you listen. Jesus, Holy Ghost, or whoever you represent, since the first black man was brought to this country, the white man's laws have propped up slavery, lynching, and castration. Are you instructing me for Christ's sake? I've been fighting that mess all my life. You don't talk to me about legality. Your laws were not made to protect black people. Corbin, wait, man. Don't. Don't be blind. Today we can make better laws. Today there is a conscience that can be reached. We don't believe it. Not in this society. It's got to go. It's got to be wrecked. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Kyle, let gentler souls than ours build your utopia. You hate guns. You hate violence. So did we, remember? Our whole program was born out of nonviolence. You name me a people in all history less violent than we were. Name a people more patient, a people more forgiving of insult and abuse. But Whitey took up that gun. Whitey used violence. Whitey is the mother of violence. We love Johnny. We needed him. Whitey's money bought his death. This man stands between me and every choice I've made. I find it interesting, um, Julian Mayfield, and this is the uh, character Tank, Mm -hmm. Julian Mayfield is nothing like the character he played. Mm. Julian Mayfield was a very subversive uh, type of uh, guy. Historians would call him part of the the black cultural left, you know, the Marxist, uh, black power, Mm. um, feminist, all those things that, you know, kind of made, you know, kind of made the movement splinter. This guy was a novelist, um, director, um, newscaster. um, I think I said director already, but he was also an activist and an educator as well. Mm -hmm. And this guy, um, I've been reading his his FBI file. The FBI was tracking him since the 1950s. So they knew where he was going, you know, uh, when he did rallies with um, or attended rallies with Paul Robeson. 
Um, they he he even he even helped one of the uh, the the author of uh, I think the the book is called Negroes with Guns, mm-hmm. Negroes and Guns. He helped him uh, beat like uh, insurrection charges and and right. all of that. So Julian Mayfield, uh, for someone who uh, is playing this character, is to- not is nothing like opposite. nothing yeah. like it. Very interesting. Um, that is uptight. So we discussed two movies, Uptight and Putney Swoop. Yes. Uh, y'all should check these movies out. We're still in our pre-blaxploitation era. Uh, so make sure y'all subscribe to our YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And follow Hutsy TV on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so go to our website, thegroovepavement.com. And we're going to be coming back with you some more. I'm Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. And this is the Groove Pavement. See y'all real soon. Right on. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? I can dig it.